What's up? This is Ryan Stasek from Humphreys McGee. This podcast is part of the Osiris Podcast family. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts, connecting music fans with conversation, commentary, and of course, lots of music. Osiris works in partnership with Relics Magazine. Osiris. Welcome in to episode 63 of The Bluest Tape. I'm Harvey Couch, alongside... Jeff Kolath. And thanks for joining us as we take our weekly journey through the live catalog of Widespread Panic. Uh, Jeff, instead of asking you how you're doing this week, I want to ask you, what are you drinking this week? <laughs> um, I am drinking uh, what is referred to as our referred to around our house as a furlough teeny. Um, which stems from both my wife and I used to work for the state of Wisconsin and back in 2000 and, uh, let's see, eight, seven, eight, eight, no, nine, 2009, um, we were furloughed by the governor in order to, uh, save, save money, which means that we had to take unpaid days off. And, um, we, the joke always was that, you know, we couldn't afford certain things because we had gotten furloughed. And so the drink around the house that became common was rail vodka and then a diet soda of some kind. So I am, I am drinking a furlough teeny, which I'm drinking platinum vodka distilled seven times for ultimate smoothness. It comes in a blue bottle. It's exquisite. You can't uh, find a better bargain on the <laughs> cheap vodka shelf. And uh, a stock soda in our house, Diet Seven Up. Okay, that sounds good. What are you drinking tonight, Harvey? Uh, I am drinking a, a fitting. It's a beer, and and it's it has a fitting name for for the for what I'm doing right now. It is called uh, Friends Indeed. It is a. Uh, it's by a brewery uh, called Moonraker out of California. I like the name. Uh, Yep, it's a it's a it's a collaboration they did with Santi Adarius Rustic Ales. Uh, it is a double IPA with uh, Enigma, Nelson, Simcoe, and Citra hops. And my buddy uh, Brian from out in Reno sent this to me because he goes to Moonraker every once in a while. It is fantastic. That is a classy beer that you are drinking right there. Yep, Much it's classy. no uh, teeny, but. I mean, and the best part about it is it is to be consumed in a pint glass or a big red cup. Like this isn't just like a cocktail. This is the, this is a drink as drink, drink several fluid ounces of uh-huh. platinum seven eggs. <laughs> right. It's not, this is not a, this ain't no sipping drink. No, 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 no. This is a, this is a, we got a, we got a bunch of programming we need to get taken care of tonight. So I'm going to, I'm focused, I'm focused. All right. Um, so, uh, all right. Well, along those lines, do we? Uh, did you? Do you have anything good to, uh, that you discovered this week to share with the people? I didn't discover. Well, I didn't discover anything new, but I. No, fair. Yeah, fair. I, it's you know, this should, the listeners should know by now that that really happens. But 
Um, I will say that the uh, I did revisit uh, a record today that um, is just fantastic, and it's the Black Crows put out something again, however long ago, ten years ago, whatever now. Um, the Lost Crows, the two records they didn't put out for some reason, the mm-hmm. Tall Sessions and the Band Sessions, which if you've heard it, you probably heard it and you're like, what were they thinking about putting this out? Because it is super good. Um, the records are great. Um, for some reason, all music gives it four stars, but, you know, whatever. They don't really know. Um, the first record um, is just is one of my favorite Favorite if if it had been put out as an official Crows release, it would probably be my second favorite Crows album after Three Snakes. Um, but Peyton Eight, Roadside Tragedy, Ever Stops Raining, Wyoming and Me, Predictable, Never Forget This Song, uh, My Heart's Killing Me, Peace Anyway, and there's a couple songs in that are fine, but those are the eight that are really that I love. Um, and the second disc is great too, with you know different different versions of songs that show up on Aborica. And some other releases too, but it's a great set. Um, it's one of those things when it came out, it was so exciting when it came out and it comes out and it's just like the bare minimum of packaging and like liner notes and such. And it's something that I wish that not every band can be the Grateful Dead in terms of doing reissues. Like the Dead just announced that they're going to do this massive release of 73, 74 shows from the, from the Pacific Northwest. Um, 19 yes mm-hmm. um which is really attempting to get because the shows are are amazing um 622 73 for vancouver is incredible the 74 stuff portland and then the the um university of washington show from 520 and 74 with the 46 minute playing in the band um, it's one of the longest shows i think they ever did um but like that to me Obviously, the shows are so different, and not every band can do it, but they have such a cottage industry of reissues built up that they put in the effort, right? They, they call, they dive deep, they do research, they write cool stuff for them. You know, other bands just don't do that, and I wish the Crows would sort of embrace that and do that, but of course, it's kind of hard to do that when you've got the two main guys that hate each other, um, which is too bad. Um, being an only child, I don't, I, you know, whatever. But it uh, it's really it's really too bad because this is it was such great music when it came out and I wish they would have done more with it than just to say have some sort of half-hearted essay because um, it deserves more and I think a lot of the crow the crows are you know one of the best rock and roll bands of the 1990s if not the best straightforward rock and roll band of the 1990s um, I wish they would wish they would get their due a little bit more but I also wish they would put a little bit more effort into their reissues and such. How many discs on that Pacific Northwest 19. box set? Nineteen, well, and then they're and then they're going to reissue five nineteen seventy four as a vinyl thing too. That's a, that's a nothing compared to the complete Baker's dozen that Fish is doing. Yeah, how many 13, discs is that? Well, it's thirteen shows they did at Madison Square Garden. Thirty six thirty six CDs. The only thing that probably beats that is the when the dead did Europe seventy two, like the whole thing, yeah. which I which I kick myself to this day for not getting because it's fun stuff. I I probably talked about this before, but I just discovered the versions of uh, Looks Like Rain with Jerry on pedal steel, and they're ridiculous. And I wish they would have done more that more often. But is that anyway, Europe seventy two. Yes, four fourteen and four seventeen, maybe. I think 
So anyway, that's my pick. Tall and band um, sessions, black crows. So, uh, so mine is actually, it's funny that, that I brought up the, the fish box set is that mine is going to be fish related, what? but also why the settle simmer down now. Um, <laughs> Also, also related to um, the Osiris Podcast Network, of which we're a founding member. Um, I, and honestly, this is this is a true recommendation, and I, I really, truly, highly recommend that you that you too, Jeff, as well as all of our listeners, go out and listen to this. It is the most recent episode of a podcast called Under the Scales which is hosted by Tom Marshall, who's one of the co-founders of Osiris Podcast Network. Also the co-writer of, you know, I guess maybe a majority of the fish catalog of songs. Um, And they celebrate the 20th anniversary of the release of um, Story of the Ghost of, from fish, which was a record that they released in 1998. And um, so RJB, and Tom Marshall talk about it a little bit and then they call up Trey Anastasio and then Tom and Trey and RJ talk about story of the ghost for like an hour. And I mean, it is awesome. It is so good. Like, I mean, you can roll your eyes about fish or say whatever you want, but just as far as like hearing two people talk about the creative method of create, you know, and, it's just, it's really cool. And I'm super proud of this guy. Like RJ did so awesome. Like I couldn't imagine keeping it together, like talking to like, you know, JB for an hour with, you know, whoever. And he did, <laughs> he sounded like a total professional, which is awesome. I mean, he is, but you know what I mean? Like that's a, as a fan, sometimes it's hard to, to take off the fan hat and be a, you know, professional, uh, host type. But, um, but it's really good. It's really interesting and kind of uh, piqued my interest to get back into uh, listening to some fish from that era. Okay. That's great. <laughs> Are you going to listen to it, Jeff? Probably not. Probably not. Golly, you're such a jerk. <laughs> what are we going to do? Because I... I, I, I I'm going to talk to RJ about doing... Like I, we, I want to do some crossover episodes where... Um, we, I didn't, I think it would have to be, you know, he would come on this up on this show and talk about panic. And then I guess it will be me because you probably won't go on helping friendly podcast and talk about fish and, you know, my, my sometimes struggles with, with that band. But I think there's enough good in there that I think that I'm hoping that he can find the right, uh, right stuff for me to dig. Yeah. No, no, no. I think I think you would be you 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 as the as the more diplomatic of the two of us. I think oh, some some would some would say open minded. Open minded. Some would say open minded. Um, and you're, I mean, you're a former broadcasting professional, and I think uh-huh. that uh, I think that it's a perfect role for you. Um, and it would be great to have him on this show. I'm happy to talk about it. You know, I think uh, we can play some stuff. Trace it's in the panic, but you know. So. Okay. We'll talk it out. We'll talk through it all. How many times have you seen fish? Twice. Two times. That is one more time than I saw him. So uh, I went but... uh, both times. I think my friend that was on fish tour in summer of 2000 and summer of 2001 gave me tickets because he was like, you just got to go, man. You just got to go. 
And uh, I saw him once at Alpine, and I went with his then-girlfriend and a good friend of mine named uh, Anna. And it was super fun to go with Anna. And the show the show was fine. I didn't know a ton of songs. I just sort of like, I know Susie Greenberg and Run Like an Antelope. And obviously I knew the covers and stuff that they played. And the show was good. And then the second one, I saw Deer Creek um, in summer 2001. And I don't know how many nights they did there. They went to, I think they probably did a couple. Um and it was a fine show. It just was so different than a panic show, you know? And I was on yeah. the lawn and like, I hadn't been on the lawn in a, for a panic show in forever. Um, you know, so just people twirling around with lights. Yeah. And I don't have the patience for that nonsense. Yeah. And it was um, just like, all right, can we go and beat the traffic? Yeah. <laughs> What's funny is, and it's, uh, this is a lot like, you know, the story that I told last week. And in a lot of ways it has some, some parallels about, you know, why I'd stopped going to see Dave Matthews band was because I saw them, you know, in June of 96 and then went and saw panic two nights later and, you know, decided which route I was going to take. But it's funny that two months later, it was the one time I went and saw fish, which was at deer Creek in August of 96. Um, and you know, it was a, it was a good show. Like I'll still go back and listen to it, but I think part of it was, um, like that was the first summer after Jerry died. And like, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe my, my memories of it are, are shaded in a certain way, but it seems like that that scene, the fish scene was just like, not very good at that point. Like it was all the worst effects of the dead, like hanging on that they were out, out on fish tour in summer of 96. And I just remember walking like in, down shakedown and i was just like yeah this is really not my this is really not my thing <laughs> like, <laughs> i'd much rather go to the zoo and hang out with like 1200 you know other people and watch panic than do this thing at deer creek um and so i think that's just sort of led me down my road but um you know i think i would like to go back and see him now sometime that i'm a little bit more mature and you know and can look at it with a more uh you know Sure. independent eye maybe than, than jeff could yeah well you can go see him at uh the bloody blah at um uh they're playing in the sand in nashville yeah they're playing in october so see, i might I, get down there for a while i saw i guess fish in 2003 not 2001 2003 at deer creek and i think i would have been yeah july 21st 2003 I think think a lot of it would be like, if I knew that, that like, if I could pick out the set list, I would be much better off like than to go to a show like unknown and be like all the songs that I don't like. And I'd be like, Oh, this is awful. But um, because there is like, there's a line, you know what I mean? Like I'm like these, these 50 songs I'm good with. And like these 50 songs I really don't want to hear. So, um, Anyway, well, this is not the Helping Friendly podcast or Under the Scales. This is the bluest tape. But um, but definitely check out the most recent version of a episode of Under the Scales. It's really cool. If you're, if you're into fish at all, if you want to hear a little bit about the, the history of the band and the writing process between Trey and Tom Marshall, it's really cool. So anyway, this week on the bluest tape, Jeff... We uh, did random openers already, so we thought it'd be a good idea to do random closers. And again, these are not necessarily closers that they only did one time. 
Um, there's certainly other random ones on the four we chose tonight, but I think these are sort of, I would say they're head scratchers, but maybe they're chin, chin strokers um, in terms of what, uh, these are interesting picks. What was the band thinking on this game? On this yeah. I think, um, yeah. They're fun, and I think we can talk at length about one of them because it was a show we both were in attendance for and sort of the weird circumstances surrounding it. We've been teasing playing this clip for a year probably. Right, yeah. We're finally going to play it, and we can talk more at length about what happened that day. Um, but it's um, it's a, I think we had some good picks tonight. We'll be previewing um, a show, next week's show, where we go de- take a deep dive into Widespread Panic on One Island. We'll be playing a clip from One Island 97, which is a a run that we played stuff from and talked about extensively. We got a selection from 95 and a couple from 2001. So we're continuing on with the 2001 trend as well. Yeah. So, um, would, uh, we'll go, I guess, chronological. Do, should, do you want to do in a pair, a couple of these up first? Yeah, let's do the, we'll do the 90, the 95 and 97, uh, ones first. And, um, the closers are interesting, I guess, because, it's not really what I mean, it's not the last thing you hear at the show, but it is sort of a sense of finality. I mean, you have three ends throughout the course of a panic show first set, second set, and then the last song of the encore or the only song of the encore, depending. But I mean, where do you fall in with, with, with sort of with, with second set closers? Yeah. I mean, I mean, is it, it's a little weird now because every band that you see with rare exception is expect you expect them to come back for an encore. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like, well, this isn't the last thing we're going to hear. There's going to be something else. Um, but it is sort yeah. of like a, you know, thing you obviously want the show to finish strong and it obviously panic builds it up. The, the it gets louder and the, you know, Danny's just push school sliders all the way up and the lights go all crazy and, and such, but it's, um, it's sort of like, but it's also not the end. And sort of it ends and you're like, whoa, that was a great set. Or like, well, that was okay. Let's see what they do for the encore. Um, yeah. I mean, it's definitely the end of a, you know, a sentence, right? And so then maybe you don't know what the encore, if it's going to be a period or an exclamation point or, um, and I, you know, a lot of the, a lot of bands do have different strategies for encores, right? I mean, you know, some bands famously will, you know, their encores are almost like another set, right? Like Pearl Jam or my morning jacket, like they'll play like seven, eight, 10 song encores. Right. And that's not maybe what we normally expect. Um, you know, or some bands it's like, you're getting one song period. That's all they'll ever play for an encore. That's the dead or, you know, um, or whatever. And, you know, maybe it's always going to be a cover, you know, it's like, it's not traditional, um, you know, standard, whatever band fair. So I, I do think there is a, um, there's an import importance to that, that closing, um, finishing song of the set, but I would on, so then, but then to take the, the opposite stance, having listened to these songs that we're going to play tonight. Um, I think in a lot of ways, you know, the panic was a little, um, narrow in their choices for closers, you know, we look at the songs that we that we or that we're going to play tonight, and you're like, "Man, those are head scratchers. Why would they do that?" But it's like they all work perfectly well, you know. And it's like it doesn't always have to be chilly or love tractor or traveling light or you know whatever the yeah like the it makes sense to me. Like there, 
you know, they've got 20, 30 songs that are going to be like 80% of the closers. And I feel like maybe that's um, a little short-sighted when they could be doing, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing a um, hopeless world closer or, you know, whatever. Um, But uh, I don't know. What do you, what, what are your thoughts? Um, again, I think there are sort of songs that fit well in, the, in, in that slot. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird because you know that there's more after it. So I think I probably haven't spent as paid as much attention to set closers. For some reason, I think first set closers are really important. Um, because I think they're sort of tone setters a little bit and also depends on the, the direction of the first set. Definitely, I think, affects the band's choices for the set list for the second set. Um, so it's sort but how many, how many times have you heard Eight Life Grand as a set close, as a show yeah. closer? Fishwater yeah. or Water or Port Song or whatever. And sort maybe, of, you know, maybe standard stuff. Yeah. And, and maybe my, um, you know, not frustration, but, you know, maybe my, you know, wish for more variety on the set closer is, is based on, I guess what I use, you know, what I'm most focused on at the show, as far as the set closer is, is that I know, you know, we're about 55 to 65 minutes into a first set or, you know, or two, three songs post drums, like, you know, when that song starts that that's the closer, you know? And so I don't know if it's like a little bit of sense of disappointment that there's not going to be more, or it's like, Oh yeah. Okay, great. Here we go. Henry Parsons, I guess this is it. Um, you know, whereas like if they mix that up a little bit more then it wouldn't be as obvious when they started that song, that this is going to be the end of the show that, um, I don't know, maybe that, maybe that would have helped, um, just, just having a little bit more, um, has this variety and in the closers and that would help not telegraph so much the, the end of the show or the end of the set. I think the, there's more anticipation about what comes out of drums. Right. I think than in terms of a second set closer. Um, and I think we've, I mean, we've talked about that too, um, on our 62 prior episodes at some point, the frustrations about coming out of drums, especially when the drums were starting to get exceedingly long, um, get 15 20 minutes long and then you get the school stuff that goes on and then they just sort of with with you know with a out of the drum out, out of drums but i'm you know i'm spending time I'm, as we're talking i'm flipping but i just chose a random year i just chose 2001 fall and i'm just working backwards looking at stuff that they close with and it's like bow-legged and big woolly mammoth is kind of is a random closer but a good one but yeah a lot of love tractors some traveling lights um, Mr. Soul's a good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're, Blackout's they're not all bad. I mean, they're, they're good. Cl- I mean, I'm not, there's, there's a, a reason oh, that yeah. their songs close. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're good closers. Conrad is a great closer. They're, they're um, good periods at the end of the sentence, but it's also, yeah, just like sometimes I wish they would, they would mix it up a little bit more, but. And the one we didn't choose, but we talked about was 10, 20, 2001 with drums entering a black hole backwards, chilly, sometimes old Joe, like, <laughs> That's it's such a strange thing. It's like why tack something on that? I mean, it's completely unnecessary. Yeah, so, but maybe yeah. that they're playing into my the argument I'm making. Those like you know, that's mixing yeah. it up. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, we, we should play some music. We've talked yes. about Yes, yeah, please. Okay, so we'll start things off April 4th, 1995 at Toad's Place in New Haven, Connecticut. And then um, it'll be the last two songs of the second set. And after a nice driving, raise the roof driving. And then, um, and then July 18th, 1997, uh, the first night of two nights at Mud Island in Memphis, Tennessee, um, coming out of drums, just a single song to close things out in the second set there. But first things first, April 4th, 1995 at Toad's Place in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. And I think, uh, I think JB's having a good time at this show.
fucking lot.
that's inside Stone Me, Holden Oversoul, close out the second set. And then July 18th, 1997, from Mud Island in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, the jam out of drums into Stop Go. And um, this New Haven show is really interesting. Holden in the closing spot's an interesting place for it to be. To me, the interesting, really interesting part of this is um, the two songs, Late in the Set, Not Connected, and JB talking in between the songs. Um, that's pretty rare to hear JB talk before a, a, a set closer or a show closer in this instance. But as you mentioned in the intro, JB is clearly having, as he like as he says in his intro to the song, he's having an exquisite time in, in New Haven, Connecticut, and he hopes everybody else is in fact having an exquisite time with him yeah. at, at Toad's place. Yeah, I loved his I loved his you know uh, sign off after the show. <laughs> It's just don't know that I ever heard him drop the f bomb in a in a JBS before, but um, yeah, the only other Holden closer I could find, uh, at least sort of like in the you know modern era, was uh, October twenty eighth, ninety seven. It closed the first set, uh, picking up the pieces, Holden over soul, um, and you know I, I think it works perfectly fine as a closer. I mean, it's a, it's a good song. Um, you know, they bring it to a nice finish. I think it, the the main thing is that it's just generally used as a uh, a jumping off point. You know, it's gen- generally a vehicle into another song, and that's probably like you see it a lot in like the second to last slot, um, 
or I mean, really all over opening slots, but you know, generally leading up to some song that's closing things out. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think it works fine here. It's cool. I like it. Yeah, this is it's it's yeah. I, I think I I agree, but it is sort of that. It's a you said it perfectly. It is a jumping off point. It's a bridge song too, so something that works well, sort of um, in the middle of a set. Uh, the stop go from July eighteenth ninety seven is is fantastic. It's I mean these two, obviously we've talked about these shows many times, but they're they're great shows, and this is you know no exception. Um, stop go stop go is a great closer, I think. Um, and it's but it's weird that it came right out right after um, drums like that with nothing else. But I swear, at the end of it, they're thinking about going to cream puff or um it just hmm. really really sounds like they're driving towards that and then they sort of cut it off and end the show and as you know if you didn't know what came after that um you'd think oh man they're up against a curfew well then they come out and they do a three-song encore so that's uh, <laughs> the point is moot at that point um yeah. but it does sound like they were fixing to go into uh into uh cream puff because it's i mean it's it's really they're starting to drive it and the tempo picks up and then they just sort of cut it off but it's a great version of it. it's a really good show obviously overall and we'll be talking about the next night the 19th and next week's episode yeah it's a it's a great ver i mean i would i would put that version of stop go up against any other honestly um it's great it has an awesome kind of like dark star tease out of drums with schools and um and yeah it's a great a great closer. I mean, I would say I was at that show and that was definitely like a really, you know, like, cause it's just, like I said, you know, you sort of have an expectation of a flow of the show and you know, you get stop, go out of drums. Yeah, I get that. Sure. That's great. You know, but I'm getting another song, you know, like you're not expecting them to just, you know, shut it down and be like, see it, see you tomorrow night. Um, but, uh, but it, I think it's it worked really well. I mean, I probably would have preferred one more song just because I like one more song after drums. But you know, they obviously they made up for it with a with a really fun three song encore. Um, and so, yeah, the only other version, only other uh, instance of a stop go set closer is October thirteenth, nineteen ninety eight, in Peoria, Illinois. It's a uh, drums Arlene stop go to close the second set, and. Um, as a pilgrim's opener and then a, and then a one song pigeons encore, which is a little, I'd say a little rare, but um, yeah. So no, I definitely dig the, the mud Island 97 post drums stop. Go. It works. So we move on to our final two selections of, of this episode. And we're going to start it off with a show that you and I both attended uh, July 8th, 2001, the infamous show at Deer Creek in Noblesville, Indiana. And do you want to tell about your day first and I'll tell about my day? Um, sure. We weren't there together, were we? I mean, I don't no, remember. Did we actually meet up at the show? I don't, I don't, I don't, or, I don't think we did. Um, well, it, again, it was nearly impossible to meet up with anybody since I think everybody that was going to the show had the fear that they might die. <laughs> so yeah. Meeting no, up I, with people and so meeting up with people was far outweighed by self-preservation. Right. Yeah. No, uh, my recollection is driving into uh, Indianapolis, um, which is, I guess, about a about a three-hour drive from where I was. And um, 
and you know about half an hour from Deer Creek and driving in on whatever interstate that is that goes from Louisville to Indianapolis. And um, that I mean the sky I don't the, the sky was like green like greenish purple. <laughs> It's like it was a color I had never seen the sky before, and and you know kids remember this is even though it's two thousand one. I mean I'm pretty sure I had a cell phone, but you know we weren't you weren't pulling up like real time radar data as you're <laughs> as you're rolling into the show. You're looking at the sky and you're like oh hopefully it doesn't rain, and then you're like I hope we don't I hope we don't die. And I definitely remember driving on the interstate where there was like some construction and like some Jersey barriers. And at one point, like an 18 wheeler was going by and just put up a wall of water. You know how it's like, they put so much water on your windshield that even if your windshield's on like the fastest, it's like, you're completely blind for a second or two. And, um, and think, yeah, that was kind of scary too, but yeah, no, that was a wild, wild ride. But then I mean, I don't remember the show itself. Was it raining at the show? I mean, I, or we were in the pavilion. So I, yeah. I don't remember I mean, getting wet quit. or anything. Yeah, it quit. I mean, I think yeah. they kind of, they moved everybody. I feel like they moved everybody down underneath. Part of the reason yeah. was because there wasn't, obviously wasn't sold out. Right. Um, but I remember like it stormed, like, you know, obviously it stormed like crazy. And then it was sort of like, man, they're going to open with Hatfield. And then they opened Heroes. And, like they're going to play Hatfield at some point. And then they never played that. Um, it was a good show overall. So my day started off. Um, bright and early as we were at this show in St. Louis the night before fully intending on staying over in St. Louis the night before and connecting with some of the folks we were supposed to share a room with. And when we got there, it was like the scene where you walk in and there's like, Oh, there's 11 people in this room. Uh, we'll pass. And instead of trying to find another room, we just decided to drive back. And the main reason why we drove back was because they were demolishing market square arena that morning hmm. um, where the Pacers played and Dead Ed played and a bunch of bands. It was the big basketball arena in downtown Indianapolis and they were going to demolish it. And then of course they had built then Contico Fieldhouse. And so we decided let's just hustle back and, and get back in time to see that. So we did, we literally got into town and I think we even parked the, I lived downtown at the time, parked the car at my apartment building and walked down and stood there and watched them blow up Market Square Arena, which was amazing at the time. And then all I remember is they would, you know, the charges all went, and then there's a delay between the smoke and the boom and everything. And you see it, and it goes down, and then all of a sudden, like, the dust plume sort of, like, follows you up the street as you walk back. And then we got back, and then I remember watching Breakfast at Wimbledon and watching Goran Ivanisevic win, win Wimbledon that day, which... For some reason, sticks out in my mind as some thing, but you know, we hung out, hung out in downtown Indianapolis all day. You know, recovering from the long trip and getting ready for the show. And remember sitting in my apartment building, delaying our arrival at Deer Creek because it was going to be the death storm, and watch and watching the radar. Like, oh man, that does not look good. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen black on the radar before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Might have just put. They might have just well put. Might as well just put black on the radar. Um, yeah, rolled up. And then by the time we got there, everything had sort of cleared out, but it was really nerve wracking because I knew a bunch of people that were going to be at the show and, you know, folks that were camping and getting there early and going to tailgate. Um, you know, I think everybody got made it through unscathed, but it was an interesting experience. The only, I wouldn't, 
I had an experience at an Almond Brothers show a couple of years earlier at Tinley Park where it was, I mean, it still is to this day the most amazing lightning show I've ever seen. But sort of like that thing of sitting sitting in a shed and watching the storm sort of swirl around you and like, are we going to be okay? Is this going to be okay? Um, but I think overall, um, this is a pretty good show. I saw the this show and the four preceding shows kind of all in a row. And the Summerfest show on the third was pretty good. The show at Harmony Park on the fourth was great. The Kansas City and St. Louis shows with String Cheese were sort of where they're okay. They were, um, but nothing really remarkable. Um, but this show really has its moments. The first set, Pusherman, Climb to Safety, Pusherman's really good. Um, and then the second set's pretty strong. And then this this really weird closer. That yeah. Well, this whole, yeah, there's some weird stuff in this set period. I mean, I think the, uh, just so the construction of the sets, um, you know, Heroes, Impossible, Littlekin, uh, you know, that's a really good start and, you know, ex- expected kind of start. But then, yeah, Pusherman, Climb to Safety, Pusherman was, was sort of different. Um, and then, uh, Stop Breaking Down, second set opener, uh, was good. And, um, and then like blackout blues into drums was not, you know, that's kind of odd, you know, that's sort of like inverted. You would expect that afterwards. Um, and then this, this part that we're going to play out of drums, obviously was, we, we feel was kind of interesting. And then, um, and then the encore too, which is just like a, a straight driving song, breathing slow, which is, I mean, awesome. It was like a really good encore, awesome. but, um, but yeah, just not a, I don't know that they ever did that any other time. It was just uh, a perfect close, but um, yeah, it's just a very interesting night for sure. Um, so that's the first selection and we're going to kick that one off uh, out of drums. And then the next selection is also from 2001 and this one is a, an official release. It is a multi-track release from the band um, from November 20th, 2001, Johnson city, Tennessee. Um, you'll hear why. I mean, if you listen to this whole show, you understand why they released it. You know? But it is, I, I, I'm, gl- I'm glad that they released this show because it is sort of this snapshot of a time, you know, right before Hauser leaves the band where they're debuting new material. Uh, they play New Blue in the first set. They play Old Neighborhood in the second set. And then the stuff after drums is, is, is really great. And it closes out with a couple songs you just don't expect to see that, that late in a set. So um, we'll get started with July 8th, 2001 at Deer Creek. Followed up with November 20th, 2001 in Johnson City, Tennessee.
All right, you heard two segments there. The first one, July 8th, 2001, from Deer Creek in Noblesville, Indiana. Out of Drums was Tractor, and then Glory into Swamp. And then uh, after that, November 20th, 2001, from Freedom Hall in Johnson City, Tennessee, on the campus of East Tennessee State University. Uh, you heard Astronomy Demand into Good Morning Little Schoolgirl, and then The Waker into She Caught the Katie. So some pretty random closers there, Jeff. Yeah, the uh, I think the thing about the Deer Creek show has always been the placement of that glory. Um, it's such such a weird spot. It's the latest they've ever played that song. The latest to that point was um, the fifth song and the second set of five thirty one ninety six at Red Rocks. Um, but I mean, it's been towards the end of a of a first set before, um, and it's open second sets, but it's never been that late. Um, in a show. Never period. post drums. Never and never post drums. The only time it's post drums. It's just such a weird, weird placement for that song. Um, but I mean, again, that saying it doesn't work. It's just weird. And of course, well, they played it all that much since um, Mikey's departure. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the things, like I said, I guess it was blackout into drums, which is kind of weird. And then Love Tractor coming out, you almost expect that. Maybe that's the closer, right? Like, as I was saying, the anticipation of knowing what a set closing song was that uh maybe the tractor is a closer and then they they stay on the stage and then they play glory and you're like well this is definitely not the closer <laughs> and um and then you get swamp so i mean the swamp is really nice it's a good close you know i like swamp in the closing slot it's just uh like it's the tractor out of drums and the and the placement of the glory that's just is kind of random um and then the next show in johnson city uh, this is a good show i mean all the way through really like the uh the astronomy astronomy domain um i mean playing that's i mean we played that song in back-to-back episodes that's pretty random and rare for us um and then schoolgirl is nice and then sort of like again you got some darkness and sort of some you know slower slower um slower tempo panic and then all of a sudden hey it's the waker you can you can do your can do your, do your hippie dance. It's just sort of a, it's such a strange thing. Yeah. And then and then Katie in the closing spot again. It's also just kind of a strange spot for that particular song. But again, not saying it doesn't work. It's just a weird place for that that one to go. Yeah, just always sort of expect that as a, as an opener or like sort of mid first set type uh, song. I think that was the only time they ever. So they closed a first set with it, uh, November 16th, 98 in Buffalo, New York, uh, way to the world. She called the Katie to close the first set. And, uh, like that's the only other, the only other time it closed a set, um, post, post drums, uh, the first night of red rocks in 99 with superstition, Katie. Coconut. Hmm. Hmm. And then it's been towards the end, like you said, towards the end of some first sets. Um, but yeah, just sort of, a. It's interesting though, because you could think. I mean, that that is a that's a song that could maybe be more than it is for Panic. You know, I mean, like that that could be a, like that ninety nine Red Rocks. You've got Dirty Dozen on there. Um, you you know, there there's there's room to explore, but they don't usually do that. You know, it's usually pretty straightforward. Um, kind of get things going. So uh, interesting slot there in, in this Johnson City show, and um, pretty amazing that they play that venue twice. March 28th, 1996, and then November 20th, 2001, and both times just like 
damn near blow the place down. <laughs> I mean, it's like two of the best shows ever at this little place in the middle of nowhere, East Tennessee. Yeah. You know, this it's, it's, we've, we've talked about random panic towns a little bit, but Johnson city certainly would fall into that category. So, yeah. uh, cool. All right. So that's a wrap for our random closers episode. And again, I think I uh, appreciate everybody following along on our social media platforms and subscribing to the podcast and continuing to share it and tell your friends about what it is we're up to and hope everybody's still enjoying it. would always love uh, comments, um, show ideas, theme ideas, that sort of thing. Um, we got, we got, we got some more, but we'd always love to hear what you all have to say and what you, what, what you all might like to hear. Um, again, great to be a part of the Osiris podcast network too. And be sure to check out all the great stuff that they they have over there, um, even the fish podcasts. Um, it's not all. I mean, there's lots of other things I too. It's not just fish. No, it's, it's no, it's great. There's a lot of good stuff on there, especially the. Um, big, I really like the Bob Crawford one. So, um, but there's excellent stuff to check out over there. And again, we really appreciate y'all listening in on our little project here. Yeah, and um, great. Maybe we'll see you guys uh, on Mud Island here. Coming up, coming up, couple weeks. All right, well, thanks everybody, and we'll send send you out with a song that we played the last two episodes. I think it's only fitting that we play the original. We'll go with uh, Pink Floyd's original version of Astronomy Divine. This podcast is in the loop. The Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at osirispod.com.